0: Alright, tis the season, we're in Christmas mode everybody, on lockdown for the next few weeks. Uh, the the hap-hap-happiest time of the year, or is it? I don't know how you feel about this. I always find it peculiar myself, because there's so much work surrounding Christmas. It's supposed to be this wonderful time, at the, the same point, all you're doing is creating more things for yourself to do. Inevitably, as Christmas is here in our house, it was the same type of thing. It's like, hey, Steve, there's these boxes in the basement that are gonna have to come upstairs. It's very interesting, too, because we, you know, do you have this, maybe certain parts of your house or closet where you have Christmas stuff and you have to pull it out? I feel like, you know, the worst thing in the world is having to move someplace, and that's usually because of the packing. And yet this is something that we put ourselves through every year for celebratory purposes. It's ridiculous. We, 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 We pack And we unpack just so that we can celebrate the season. And then in the process, you're pulling things out. And of course, since you did it 11 months ago, you have no recollection of where certain things are. But when you finally do locate things, including things like light bulbs, right? And you start to put them up. And and obviously what happens? You plug it in and nothing happens at all. You're like, no, 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 Steve. I went out and bought LEDs. Suckers. Because you've bought into the industry, because now you're having to upgrade all the time. Just keep your old light bulbs, but that's not what they want. They want you to buy new ones, but if you're like me and frugal and keep the old ones, then you have to go and do an electrical analysis to determine which bulb is indeed burned out. It is the worst. And then you hang them up, and then they're crooked, and you spend the next 25 to 30 days just readjusting them well. Friends, I haven't even gotten to shopping yet. Because there's this thing, there's this obligatory aspect that I need to give people stuff. And maybe you're like me and you have certain people in your family that have absolutely no hobbies. So you've exhausted everything. You just go into the, you know, Target and right at the end there's that whole gobbledygook wall next to the gum now, which is like knickknacks that nobody ever wants. But for some reason, as they're trying to figure out what to buy somebody else, they purchase these things. I have many a tiny flashlight that would be purposeful in absolutely no situation. Can I get an Amen. Do you have these? You're like, oh, thanks for this. And it's too robust for you to ever throw away, so it just sits there in a drawer or something over and over again. I'm glad that we buy each other's stuff. And then you have to figure out the range of gifts by which to buy because you know that if you give somebody a gift and it's at this level, you can't have somebody that means less to you at a higher level. So there's a hierarchy that you need to develop. Electrical engineering is more simple than this. I'll go back to the Christmas lights. And then, (laughs) of course... Within all things, there is trying to negotiate family relationships. And I'm not even talking about when you're actually embedded in the situations, but I'm talking about how you move between certain people. I love all my first-time parents here right now who are trying to figure out the cavalcade of familial journey because you're trying to determine who gets Christmas Eve, but who gets Christmas, and how does this work out? I'm just telling you, let's just stop. It sucks. I can cancel Christmas if you want. I mean, I've already canceled Christmas Eve around here. I think I have the authority to do so. Friends, I think this is the the issue then becomes with this, is why do we put ourselves through this? Really, why do we? And very often we're trying to cultivate memories for something. There's nothing like Christmas because it's the same type of practice year after year after year and sometimes the traditions change a little and sometimes the faces are altered but we go through this experience for something bigger and and we know that you're you're here today right it's because what we're trying to do is gather around the manger and that's what we want to do here as a body as much as Christmas can be so much work and all this stress that accompanies it let's take the next few weeks and let's really examine what it means for us to be followers of Jesus to gather around the neighbor around the manger and 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 to really cultivate that love for the baby Jesus and uh, so this is what we're going to do the next few weeks we're going to talk about three different groups that gathered around the manger and we're going to begin that um, this morning in Luke chapter two and I did not check the page in the blue Bible I do not know what it is seven twenty four in your blue Bible. Or you can pull out your mobile device and find that. Luke chapter two. And we are going to talk about the shepherds this morning. So we're going to start in verse eight, and I don't have Linus with me, but I have my resident Linus, my daughter Kaylin, who is going to read through this text for us this morning. Thank you, daughter. So let's start out. Kaelin, read Luke chapter two, verse eight.
1: And then there were Okay. And then there were shepherds living out of the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night.
0: Okay, so shepherds, friends, are peculiar people. We hear about them in the Christmas story, but many times we don't stop to really take a look at who they were. They were peculiar in two different ways. They were peculiar culturally and then also spiritually. This isn't my picture up here. This is a picture of a friend of mine uh, took in Israel. But when we were there about uh, 12 years ago, I was just enamored by the idea that even today in Palestine, there are still shepherds. Now, the thing is, is this relationship today is much more different back then, but you have to understand is that shepherds were peculiar culturally. One of the things is that they were the only, the last remnants of true nomadic life in first century Israel. So it's one of those things that we just go back to because we're like, hey, you know, when I think about the times of Jesus, I think about people living in, like, in tents, you know, and, and it was just sort of this really ancient culture. But by then, the, you know, especially with the development of Alexander the Great and Hellenism and coming back to the current era... Right around the time of Jesus when the Romans ruled, people had houses, there was plumbing actually, there were roadways that were were developed for transportation purposes. But the shepherds were the last remnant of that ancient world where they lived out in the field most of their lives with their sheep. They were the blue-collar workers, and actually, they were probably the lowest class of the time. And as such, they, it, it wasn't a profession that you would usually choose to go into. If it was your familial right, you might become a shepherd because you were taking over the family, trade, or business. But if you weren't of that ilk, then usually the way you became a shepherd was you fell into it because there was absolutely no other contribution you could make to society. It's interesting through ancient documents, we can see that very, if you you weren't familial in your shepherding lineage, then usually it was the job of criminals. Because when you were a criminal, you could get hired to watch sheep and be in the field. And as such, it's interesting that we see through ancient documents as well, is their testimony, uh, the testimony of shepherds, was not usually accepted in courts because they were deemed to be untrustworthy. And they had little to no influence. That is the cultural variance of the shepherds in the field today. So we don't know, you know, because we, we, I, maybe that we are, are wrapped up within, you know, our Christmas pageants and stuff, because you like to, you know, view the little kid with their cute little shepherd stuff, and you're like, oh, that's what it was. No, sometimes these were hardened adults who were forgotten by society. They were not the people you would want to hang out with for fear that they might do something to you. They took care of their sheep, but when it was down to people, it was fair game. That's culturally, but this is what's interesting about that, is that here we are in first century Palestine. It's still the same country that we see through all the scriptures, and shepherds weren't always viewed this way. The most famous king in the history of Israel, his profession was shepherd. And when he ascended to a place of prominence, as he was trying to tell the country how they should think about their God, how does he describe it? Within terms of shepherd. One of the most famous psalms in the scriptures, right? Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want or be in want. The translation is, if the Lord's my shepherd, I long for nothing. He cares for me. So how do we get to the point where shepherds were like revered to reviled? And I'm going to say is that this is the influence of what we see in the New Testament of the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The religious leaders of the day. And they had religious practices that they saw as the definition of someone's value and worth. Specifically within the terms of clean. And unclean. If you were ceremonially clean, then you could worship at the temple freely. If you were unclean, however, and the Old Testament tells us a lot about uncleanliness, but the Pharisees took it to a whole other level. If you were unclean, then you would be separated religiously from worship and fellowship. And the Pharisees viewed the tasks of shepherding through the lenses of spirituality. Have another Picture, by the way, this is from my friend Mark. You know what? Someday you give me a couple years. We're going to go to Israel. We're going to do a trip at Echo. If you guys want to go, you know, you can start saving up for that today. We're going to go with my friend Mark, who's who like spends months a year in Israel. And he'll just go and go for walks with his Bible and he'll figure out where things happen. And this, friends, I don't know if you can see, is a valley. And very often scholars say is that this was near where King David lived. So this was probably some of the inspiration of David from Psalm chapter 23. Okay, so Mark, my friend, goes on a walk there by himself. And I don't know if you can see this because this maybe changes the way that we view Israel sometimes, but it's helpful is that, yes, there's some great topography right there, very much like Cincinnati, but it's not rolling hills, green grass topography. Actually, if you can see, there are jagged rocks all along the hills, and there are patches of grass, and this is where the sheep would feast, right? But the thing is is that they would get them in and out of these crevices. And you do know this maybe historically. If not, I'm, I'm, I hate to shatter this for you, but sheep are relatively dumb creatures. They are not that bright. And since they would find their ways to get stuck in crevices and cracked, a shepherd's job would be to free them. And if you're putting your flesh against rock, the chances are you're going to cut your skin, you're going to start bleeding. And one of the things about ceremonial cleanness is, is that blood and open wounds are unclean and no-no's. So therefore, since they were taking care of sheeps, uh, sheeps, sheep, they would have marks all along their arms and hands that would have made them ceremonially unclean, and even more so because they were spending so much time around these animals. And listen, as much as you want to see your beautiful image of fluffy white sheep that's cuddly, they, 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 they do not wipe after they use the restroom. So they are disgusting. So you had a very high likelihood of getting poo on oneself. And poo, biblically, is unclean. I'm, I didn't cite that scriptural verse, but I really should. It is biblical, is that poo is unclean. And therefore, because they were around this, they lacked religious ser- purity the final thing is because they were out in the fields all time the most holy observation of religiosity in the first century for jews was sabbath a day where you would have to stop and not work at all but a shepherd's job was never done and therefore they couldn't observe the sabbath so as a result you have this entire people group who lived within this religious country yet at the time they were reviled and they weren't respected it was a job that no self-respecting Jew would want. Can I tell you the last thing about this story from verse 8? Because we've got to set the scene. It's important. And it fascinates you when you get there. Is because you hear about these places and you hear about Bethlehem, which is right where Jesus was born and where these shepherds would have been. I don't know if you know this, but you can map quest this stuff I did this week. Is that Bethlehem is only a two-hour walk to Jerusalem. It's very close, you can walk. There's some hills along the way and it's a beautiful scenic little place with hills and valleys and stuff. But this is the interesting thing. At that point, Jerusalem was the capital of of the nation of Israel and most importantly, that is where resided the temple. And what was the key point of worship at the temple? It was the sacrificial system. It was you bringing an animal before God to take away your sin for the next year. And what was the animal that was used for the sacrifice? The sheep. So here's the rub, friends. This is what's very interesting. Even though the Pharisees and the religious leaders viewed shepherds as the lowest of the low, they were very important because they tended to the sacrifice. So it was one of these places, and we figured this society, I think this is important for us to see the way that we view other people true. Because we, you know, maybe we joke about somebody who was maybe imprisoned, or, or maybe we make inappropriate jokes about people in different phases in life, but recognize that these were the people that God chose to speak to. Kalen, let's keep reading through the text. This is a little longer. Read verses 9 through 15, please.
1: An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will for all the, that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be assigned to you: you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger." Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left the, them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about.
0: How amazing this scene comes across even a few thousand years later! It is so nonsensical, people. It's ridiculous, because here you have this amazing scene of the angels of heaven emerging from clouds and singing to people, and yet they do so to shepherds. Again, look at the map. You know, look how close they were to Jerusalem. I swear they took a, long, a wrong term at Albuquerque, right? Because you would think that if they wanted to appear and really make a mess of things, they would have gone to Jerusalem, maybe right by the temple. You know, like here's the temple, and then the angels sat down next to it, so it's like a perfect scene. And then all the people in Jerusalem are like, this is really happening. Like the, the Messiah is going to be born. We need to go, and he's within a walking distance. But no, the angels come down around the hills of Bethlehem find the most reviled people in society, and then they say, hey, we've got a message for you. This is interesting for us, because it makes no sense, but it makes perfect sense the deeper we go into it. See, because on the surface, on the surface, it's nonsensical. On the surface, we're like, who are angels? Angels were created and exist to be in heaven and worship God. That is their job. So every day while the shepherds are in the field with sheep poo on their arms the angels are in heaven around the most holy thing ever imaginable and they are as close to perfection as you can come they are there in his presence to the extent that right here in the scene in luke chapter 2 and every time in the bible that an angel comes before and stands in front of a group of people what's the first thing that they say do not be afraid Why are they always telling people not to be afraid? Because they are just soaked in the holiness of heaven around God. So when they appear, there is nothing like it in existence on this earth. One of the things I'm looking forward to heaven is just seeing what these people are always afraid about. And at the same time, they are right there in the midst of shepherds. You have the holiness of God. Over the most reviled people of the day. And they say, we've got good news for you. For you. The shepherds were the first ones to receive the great news of Jesus. It's interesting here, right? Because why why the shepherds? This is something I think is beautiful because the baby that they were told about would take on that mantle himself. In the scriptures, we refer to Jesus as the good shepherd. He himself, in John chapter 10, verse 11, tells his followers, I'm the good shepherd. And What does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I would tell you that maybe one of the reasons that he picked shepherds was to transform the way that the people looked as shepherds and sheep. Because again, you heard all of, the, all of the reviled stuff that we use to describe shepherds in that time. Jesus doesn't steer clear from it. Actually, his birth announcement is made to shepherds and additionally, he draws them in closer and he says, I am like them. I'm like them. I'm a shepherd. Friends, this is the Jesus that we serve. This isn't a Jesus that is so distant, that he's untouchable. This is the Jesus that is covered with feces, unrespected, arms cut up, but full of love. Just parenthetically, I was having a conversation this with, with week with some Christian people. Christian people are the best, aren't they? These Christian people, were, they were reading this book, and I know the book. It's really just not a compelling, deep intellectual book. And these people were deep and compelling and intellectual people, so they were obviously bashing on the book. By the way, this men's group did not occur this week. So this wasn't here at Echo. Somebody's like Steve it sucks. No. Okay. It's actually a very good book. I digress. Here's the deal though. In the conversation they were just like this is this is fine maybe for some other people, but I need to I need to get to a higher place. And you know what I said? I said, can I tell you guys something? Because I'm at a higher place. This is something you all need to know about me. I'm at a higher place. Um, I've studied theology the better portion of my life. I've read what needs to be read. I'm at this point. You know why I still read some of those books that I don't like, that I think are beneath or at lower level? Because I realize this about myself. I realize that I tend to elevate certain aspects about the God and Jesus that I like and dismiss the other aspects. And there are times when you feel like, well, I need to achieve to this higher level that you need to stop and realize, maybe I'm idolizing that, I need to reverse stream. Maybe I need to just be basic and talk to people for whom faith is much more simplistic than me. Maybe I need to, to, to just be around that for a while. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, everybody wants to be in the pew with the suit and tie. Sometimes they don't wanna be in the pew with the sheep in the fields, right? That was the best I could do. But here's the thing, sometimes we need to hang out with the sheep. Sometimes we need to have that. We need both in our life, because then you have to realize is that God came for the both hand. And if we're ever at the point where we're looking at other people with disdain, whether that their position is so high that we think they're beyond reach, or if it's so low, then we probably need to gravitate towards one of those to make ourselves wholesome and healthy. That was parenthetical. Let me give you the last thing. This is what I was thinking about as I was reading through this text this week. It's like, why did God choose the shepherds? You know what? I believe that he chose the shepherds also out of um, professional courtesy. Out of professional courtesy. Because what did this announcement signal? This announcement to the shepherd that the Messiah was coming signaled the end of the temple in Jerusalem. And we know that within a few decades, that temple had been destroyed altogether. No longer would there be sacrifices, and what happens if there's no more sacrifices? There's no more need to sheep, right? To have sheep. To have people who shepherd sheep, right? And because that is no longer need, basically angels are like, hey, by the way, guys, your industry is dissolving for your very eyes. You pr- should probably look for new employment. Now practically that didn't happen to any of them right they at least had another 40 50 years as they were going to be needed so they were going to be fine however it's this idea that i think is that the, the idea that the task of shepherding would virtually be erased even though it exists nowadays it's more of a novelty than anything itself you need to understand is that this was shifting a, sh- a change in what it meant for shepherds but in the time and the moment it was rich and it was powerful it was robust what do we get that night we get at that night the shepherds are going to leave the sheep to see the lamb of god galen read verses 16 and 18 please
1: so they hurried off and found mary and joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger when they had seen him they spread the word concerning what had been told what had been told them about this child And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them.
0: The angels coming down was the heavenly response. The shepherds going to the manger was the earthly response. They received the message, a baby is going to be born. It's not going to be an ordinary baby. It's going to be the Messiah. And they went now again we get this beautiful angelic scene that is usually represented through nativities whether it be in the little ones that you put up over christmas or in paintings right there's something beautiful about it. the reason i picked this picture by the way and we don't have to get into the weeds of this because everybody says oh you know he was born in a stable but there's no stable in the scriptures and historic tradition has said within bethlehem there's all these caves too so just the idea that you had a feeding trough a manger in a cave would have made more sense so you have the scene, though, and it's funny is that Jesus apparently has a glow stick that is illuminating him. Like, that's the way we see it. You know, that's the way we picture it. But I want you to, to, to picture a few things about this. Like, number one, if any of you are 4-Hers or farmers or have that background, this is still an animal feeding trough, right? Which means there's animals around, which means the smell is just not really good. I'll tell you that's the one thing I do like about the stable scene down at, um crone Conservatory. I don't know if you, have, you go down to that, but go down there. And when you go down there, what's the first thing? I'm, you're like, "Oh, there's the pretty baby," and, oh, oh, oh. and you're just like, "I need to leave because I smell feces." But friends, that was probably the manger scene much more than the glowing pretty baby. And remember how we described the shepherds? They were they, they, these were just like gruffy looking dudes. You know, probably not beards, well manicured. Maybe some corn still left in there. There could be poop on the robe too right there. So they're bringing the smell with them. I always think about this from Mary's perspective because I, you know, I, I've not given birth myself, but because of what I've done pastorally, I've sometimes there, soon thereafter. And the one thing is that moms aren't really very excited to see lots of other people right after they give birth. I mean, is that, can I get an amen for some of you people? You're like, hey, we're gonna bring in this crew and they're just gonna circle around you like it's it's not every mother's dream or fantasy and i can't believe that mary wanted that either you know she's like you know it's bad enough that my newborn baby is like in a feeding trough with like leftover food that you know the cattle did not finish But the idea that these gruffy, criminal-looking dudes are coming into and surrounding it, it's not the angelic scene that we tend to picture. But, friends, that's why we've got to pull all of the wrapping paper and the Christmas lights and everything away from the scene to get down to what it really is. Friends, it is that the Savior of the world did not come to live in a picturesque scene, but chose to live with us plebes who are screwing up day after day, who sometimes just look miserable, smell miserable, say horrible things. Jesus is like, that's where we'll get started. That's where we'll get started. And I'll tell you, he did not want to get started there. He's like, so I can fix them first. (laughs) He got there because he's like, look, I'm for everybody. Jesus is for everybody. I love this right here is that, you know, It affects Mary, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But then also, what happens? These guys go, and they tell what they saw. And this is the beautiful thing that I love about this text, if you ever see it. Because then, take everything we've talked about, and look at verse 18. When people who heard what the shepherds said, how did they respond? Did they say, you criminal shepherds, shut up. We don't believe you? No, 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 no. The people were amazed. So what does Jesus do? He even turns around, not just the spiritual um, situation, but are the, the cultural spiritual, both. That's the both. That's what I'm trying to say. He, he takes care of the spiritual and the cultural. He changes how everything is. That's what Jesus did. Now, I want to wrap up. I want to do one more. I want to look at this verse from verse 20. This is what really impacted me from the scene. So the shepherds returned. Where did they return? They returned to their gigs. Their, their gigs with a the timeline, their downsizing trajectory, right? The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they had just been told. And then what? And then what? And then we hear nothing about shepherds the rest of their time. We, we, there's no other biblical information about these people who were so important that they were the very first people to see Jesus. We get nothing, zilch, nada about the shepherds. And basically, what we're left to assume is that that was actually the culmination of their entire lives, right? Like, nothing in life is going to compare to the moment when there's an angelic host before you singing about this and you get to see the Savior of the world as a baby. Everything's downhill from this point, y'all. It's really kind of depressing. Because then, you know, think about it. It's like, hey, remember, remember last month when, when, when the angels came? And they were singing, and we, wasn't that just crazy? And they're like, you've got some poop in your beard, right? Like, it's just the mundane. Can you imagine then a year later where they're like, hey, remember what happened last year, uh, you know, on Christmas? and that, You know, <laughs> I didn't get you anything. You know, there's, it's just this idea. Or, or like 18 months after the fact, this still, nothing in their lives compared to this, This is the thing that I always feel about this Christmas season. One of the reasons that I wanted to list all this stuff is that we do all this work to start this season and you know it, friends, January 2nd is coming. And some of you are like, I refuse. I will not take down my decorations because if I leave them up, number one, I'll save time for next year. But number two, I can elongate the season. You're just fooling yourselves because it's coming to an end, even now. Your advent calendar is, is going to inch ever closer to that day, and then December 26th will be here, and you won't know what to do. Yeah, you will. You'll pull your boxes back out. You'll do it, and then January, in the Midwest hits, and then February, and we all get seasonal affective disorder, and it's just the worst. I just want to put that out for you because I want you to just think about that right now because you should see the faces right now. It's like I stole your joy, and I'm doing this right. Why is that so important? Because, friends, that's the thing about the season, it ends, right? And you're like, well, I'll start hoping for spring, <laughs> or at least Martin Luther King's Day, so I can get like a break, right? And, like, just these little moments, friends, it will come to an end. And I think that's the hardest thing to do is that when this is over, you're just like, and eh, now we're back. Imagine how hard it was for these dudes to have that great experience, and then it's just like, and here's the rest of our lives. You can be as quasi depressing, but I would offer. I would offer, though, that what we don't see in this text, but what had to have happened, is that the reasons that the shepherds probably took that moment with them for the rest of their existence is because they left the scene and the season, but it changed who they were. Those dudes were never the same. How often can you say that about the way that you've experienced Christmas? What is the Christmas season that you can trace back and you're like, you know what, in 1994, I had that Christmas season, I was never the same. Like the way that that spoke spiritually changed who I am. Probably never, right? Maybe you remember those childhood of your youth, like the Christmas story where you got the Red Rider BB gun. Maybe there was that moment that you were just happy, but at the same pro- time, it probably didn't transform you spiritually because as much as we have this nostalgia, does it really transform who we are and what happens next? and I would say that is the challenge for us in this season and that's why I wanted to introduce this at the beginning of our time looking at the manger scene because I want you to begin to think about that now in the way that you approach this season. Rather than making a bullet point of events that need to happen over the next 23 days, maybe working through more richly. How will I let my life be transformed by being around the manger? How can I live differently? I think that's the challenge, that we don't just observe this for a moment, for a season, but that we continue to see the effect that it made to the shepherds. Can we be transformed constantly because of what that baby in a manger means to us? I like this poem by a man named Howard Thurman. It's like a poem, a stanza. He was an American author, a theologian, um, was at Howard University for the longest time, and he was actually a mentor of Martin Luther King Jr., And I think he sensed this, which is what kind of leads me to this idea of uh, my personal conviction of how I need to live, but, but what happens when this is all said and done. And he wrote this poem, which is actually just called When the Song of Angels is Stilled, and I want to read that out loud for us this morning. When the song of the angels is stilled, and when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins. To find the lost. To heal the broken. To feed the hungry. To release the prisoner. To rebuild the nations. To bring peace among the people. To make music in the heart. We're called to take that feeling that the shepherds have with us wherever we go and not only to have that nostalgia but that it wells up within us that it transforms even who we are friends if the focus of this is around gift giving and decorating and 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 a, a calendar full of wonderful events photographs that you will be able to take in social media so that you can remember for years how your kids experience as friends, it all will dissipate. It means nothing when disconnected from the work of the gospel, which is what Jesus said. Friends, this is good news. This is what Jesus came to do. That's what we're called to do out of this season. I love this time of year too because then in our time of worship, every week we have communion, right? Every week we do communion. And I love that there's just this tension in that time. But I think it's beautiful for us to always realize the tragedy of this beautiful birth. We're smiles and we're celebratory, but we recognize that this lamb was born to die. And it's not just the idea that he was killed, but that it's our sin. Our sin killed the baby. That's on us should bring a little bit of sorrow to our heart. But it still gives us joy because he delivers us. And he delivers the lost and the broken and the hungry and the prisoner and all people for him. That's why we remember. So we're going to have a time of communion. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're going to pass these trays around with bread and juice. We're going to invite you to partake. We're going to conclude our time of worship around the manger with communion. I'll pray and we'll commune. Heavenly Father, this is always a difficult season in church because we're repeating the same story over and over again. And because we all feel like we know it, Father, it makes it even more difficult because sometimes we tune aspects out. But I would ask that during the next few weeks, you convict us through your spirit to see this in a new dynamic way that you convict us to see that this baby's born. It was humble, but it was also this convergence of heaven and earth and beautiful symphony so that our sin would not be held against us, that this baby would live life perfectly and still die because of our actions. So we come before you, Father, begging forgiveness, yet knowing that we are forgiven, Father, through your son, Jesus. Thank you for coming to earth, to living among us with scratches and bruises and and filth. Just thank you for living among us, for loving us, and for releasing us toward your glory. For all of that, we are thankful, and for this we remember as we commune this morning. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen.